Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, Katie Quigg, Paul Ramallo, Raging Demon, JC, Masked Llama, Ozzy Garcia, Keith Gasper, and Diskimera. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 106 of Retro Hangover. Welcome to the podcast where we are merrily multiplying multitudes, making mega mundane minxes mad. This is episode 106 of Retro Hangover. I am your co-host, Chris Copleen, with special guest Andy from Mega Cat Studios. And as always, your host, Shane, meowing 16-bit dick dragon. Koski. You know what's fun about this, uh, apart from the fact that typically we don't do too many interview episodes, so I'm excited for that. But honestly, the other part of it is just getting somebody new on the show that has no context around said dick dragon thing. <laughs> and I just imagine how confused he is. And I take some sort of enjoyment in that I a little bit. I think it's a pretty sweet nickname, man. I, that's, that's how I took it. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. I think it's good, too. I, I really do appreciate it. But before we, we talk more about the Dick Dragon, or probably mm-hmm. we should stop. Uh, welcome to the show, probably Andy. Probably for the best. Yes, probably for the best. Welcome to the show, Andy. Um, it's really awesome that you're here today. Uh, thanks for stopping by. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm really excited. Awesome, awesome. So before we really get into this, this is going to be an interview, uh, obviously, with Andy, as you can see, probably by the title that is that you clicked on for this episode. Well, I have that. So he likes to state the obvious. Yeah, I'm stating the obvious right, right there. Mm-hmm. we we usually talk about what kind of games we play and what we've been playing recently. Uh, just to, you know, before we get into the episode, we do have usually a brief history after that, but uh, I'm, I don't want to give a brief history on you. I think that's kind of the interview in and of itself. So uh, instead of that, Andy, how about you go ahead and tell us, you know, what you've been up to, you know, in terms of games and stuff you've been playing recently before me and Shane get into it. Uh, Sure. I just um, I'm pretty deep into it right now. I've been building a retro gaming PC. And so I've been playing a lot of old DOS games and old Windows games. I'm playing a lot of SimCity 2000 and uh, original Doom. I got a uh, MIDI synthesizer for it. That's the same one they used to make the Doom soundtrack. Oh, damn. So I'm pumping all the music through that and playing Doom through it. It's pretty great. I think you just That's uh, fantastic. I think you just gave Shane a nice little nice little rubbery one. It's I mean, it's, it's a little it's a little chub. But yeah, no, that's that is the level of dedication that I appreciate. 
Thanks. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty excited to play around with it some more. It's I, it's been a long time since I've played around with a computer that runs Windows 98. <laughs> so I, I feel like I need to ask why 98 specifically. 98 second edition mm-hmm. introduced being able to do direct input devices over USB. Gotcha. So I can use a DualShock 4 controller just natively out of the box. Oh, that's awesome. As my game oh. I like that. Now, now I need to look into this. I need to build an old retro computer. It's fun. It's a, it's a good time. Wow. Is it hard to find components for that? Like on the, I mean, everything has to be on the secondhand market, I would imagine. Yeah. Some stuff is more expensive than other stuff. Like there's still some pieces I'm waiting on getting because they're going to be like, it's going to be like, I'm going to be spending like $250 on like a 30 year old graphics card, you know, (laughs) (laughs) but uh, most of the stuff's not too hard to find. I mean, you can get motherboard with a processor and ram in it um pretty cheap on ebay just gotta make sure it's you know something that somebody tested and it works see in a way this almost makes me feel like i should have hung on to my older hardware like i had a 1050 geforce kicking around in a box for ever and i was just like you know what i feel like it's time to bring this over to the old e-recycling and you know if i had just been more of a pack rat and hung on to that you know give it like another what 10 15 years somebody could be building their very own early aughts PC gaming rig, and I would be right there to sell it to them on eBay. Yeah. But alas. So speaking of that, Shane, what have you been up to? What have you been playing? Uh, well, I'd love to say that I've been playing more Diablo 2 Resurrected, but their servers are hot trash. So, <laughs> you know, it's kind of on and off. <laughs> I kind of, I really feel bad for Vicarious Visions. I know I've said that before, but I just feel like they put so much good work into making what is actually a really solid remaster. And then Blizzard's just kind of like, who needs server capacity, really? Or (laughs) let's just make this 20 year old netcode work. That's fine. But I have been getting a little bit of that in when I when I can, when Blizzard allows me to play outside of that uh, hasn't really been a whole lot. Uh, Oh, actually, there is one thing in my quest to continue trying to clear out the ever-present backlog such as it is never ending yeah it is and i'm not even talking about digital that's a whole other nightmare but no i uh went back to the old 360 to try to clear out the handful of games i still have left for that and uh i have been playing deadpool which i feel like got a lot of really mixed reviews when it came out but i gotta be honest with you it's a hell of a lot of fun like it's kind of janky i'm not gonna lie but it is super entertaining so i'm actually enjoying that way more than it probably deserves but yeah so that's that's pretty much me right now so uh what about what about you chris what have you been doing you're you're reaching the end of your uh your your long travel trek so what have you been doing to stay busy actually yeah i mean when this episode comes out i will be i will have been home now for over a month and a half so that's nice but as we're recording this i'm not going to be home for another three yeah three weeks so i'm still stuck in virginia and uh, we'll be moving to another part of Virginia here at the end of the week. And I, I'm just going to briefly talk about a game that I'm playing for a past episode at this point. I'm, I'm playing Tomb Raider in preparation for the episode that you have already heard. And it's, <laughs> it's making me go absolutely crazy. And I hate this game. I really do. And you probably already know that. I hate oh, you, Shane, man. for making me play it. Hey, listen, man. I, uh, I mean, I wasn't going to bring that up. But to be fair... I'm I'm not enjoying it much more than you are. So it's it's gotten to the point that I'm trying to play Breath of Fire. 
because I was having fun with that game. And then I was like, I have a responsibility to you loyal listeners to give you an accurate view of the video game that we are reviewing for an episode. And now I am just so anxious and filled with anxiety and hate and anger uh, that I can't play anything else until I complete this stupid game. And again, I, I mean, you probably already know this. This episode has already happened. Okay, so to, to is, be fair, though, I mean, that's not exactly a, a, a bar that we've set for ourselves consistently. I mean, you remember Superman 64. I mean, well, to be fair, you actually did <laughs> finish that or get damn close, which is ridiculous. Actually, uh, no, I put that down. Okay. Like well, you got, listen, you got way further than either myself or our, our guest at that moment. I was just like, yeah. second level, I'm out. That's it. So, yeah, I think we're, I mean, we're <laughs> talking Bubsy 3D because I did beat that. And, uh, oh God, yeah. I'll say Tomb, Tomb Raider is better than that. So hopefully I can get back into some, some, uh, Breath of Fire. I also completed Batman, uh, Arkham City. I had a really good time with that. This That's a really solid. good game really good game it's not perfect but oh my god is it a good game for the wii u too so you know it's it's the best version <laughs> of course <laughs> ah, so that's all of us no brief history obviously because this is an interview i guess we can kind of have a brief history in a sense though because uh, we do have Andy here. And really, before we start asking Andy a bunch of questions, I guess I'll start it off with a question. <laughs> That's appropriate. What a curveball. Um, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so, Andy, uh, everyone sees that you're here. You're from development uh, studio and publisher Megacat Studios. So uh, just kind of explain, you know, who you are and what Megacat Studios is. Uh, sure. I, I'm the lead designer for Megacat Studios. Um, what we do is we're a development studio and publisher for games for modern platforms, you know, like PC, PS5, um, Switch. But we also develop games for retro consoles as well. So we make new games for like the NES, the SNES, the Sega Genesis. Uh, we've published some Game Boy games. So we, we try to sort of span kind of the history of games with the kind of games that we create. And we expect any Jaguar ports at any point. <laughs> I can't really talk about that kind of stuff, okay. you know? That's not a no. I figured I'd ask. Yeah, that's not a no. <laughs> <laughs> it's never a no, man. <laughs> I want to touch every console I possibly can. I mean, it's a, it's a lofty goal. I'll give you that. <laughs> so how long you guys been at this? Uh, we've been at it for pretty close to 10 years now. We've been at it for, I think, six years that's a, that's as long as i've been around I, i've been there for about six years now okay cool so we've prepared some stuff some of them will be a little bit more like a personal question some of them will be a little bit more about the studio itself there might be some nonsense in there who knows but at any rate um so i guess to kind of kick things off outside of that how did you like personally end up in the gaming industry was it always something that you wanted to do or was this like something that came to you a bit later in life uh, I think it's kind of a combination of the two. So I was a hobbyist for a really long time. Most of my life, um, I modded games, like modded PC games that I played. I think the first mod I ever did was some crappy little map in Doom when I was like 10 years old, you know? Ah, uh, the wads. Yeah, but I also did like mods for old school console games as well. And um, did like ROM hacks and homebrew stuff. Nice. And I was at a video game convention when I was in my mid-20s. 
you know, checking out some tables and stuff. And I ran into this guy who was selling a bunch of stuff. And he said he wanted to make a video game studio that made games for retro consoles. And that was James, the the owner of Mega Cat Studios. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, was, I gave him my information and I was like, hey, you know, if you ever need any advice or, you know, like help with like some of the technical stuff, um, you know, just give me a call. I can help you out. And he basically just said, like, well, I need that full time if I'm going to make this studio. Do you want to come on, come on and work with me? And so that's how I ended up getting involved with it. So did that did that whole conversation like end to end occur just at the convention? Uh, it was kind of split up. So we he, I gave him my information and he, he took it and then called me into the office he had at the time just to hang out and talk. And yeah, he, he's like, well, why don't you come on, you know, like part time, do a little bit of freelance. But that lasted for maybe about a week. And then he was like, dude, just put in your two weeks at your current job and, and come on, come on. What kind of like feelings were, were going through your head at that time? Because, I mean, this is you guys were a development studio that just starting out, you didn't really have any, you know, uh, uh, you know, cloud experience. You're establishing yourself. I mean, were you, were you nervous kind of setting out on that new voyage in life without really having any real product at the time? Or did you guys have a real game plan? We had a game plan in place. Me personally, um, I've always kind of been under the impression that if something is easy, it's not going to be any fun. So um, I was pretty excited mm-hmm. about the whole prospect. You know, are you a Dark Souls fan? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're, you're talking to a you're, t- you're talking to a retro gamer right, right now. If, if a game's not Absolutely. if a game's not hard, what's the point? Watch a movie. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of leads into our next question because I mean you've experienced you expressed that you've made a lot of mods for for older games. I mean you say you're a retro gamer much like we are. Was that really the the key decision to start developing games for retro systems in in particular? Yeah, uh, and James, myself, um, the rest of the crew, we're all retro gamers. We're all people that grew up in that era and are still playing those games now. That was definitely the main influence sort of behind what we do and was that always the idea like right from the beginning oh yeah yeah that was the the first games we were making were for the nes nice okay cool so i guess talking a little bit more about you know retro games or that sort of like niche if you want to even call it that at this point i feel like it's gotten so big but we do see like a lot of indie developers that make games with more of a retro inspired aesthetic and that's been like more and more common um over the last you know, at least five or 10 years, but probably even more than that at this point. Why do you think perhaps most of them kind of shy away from making those games compatible or even available on older hardware when in theory, like a lot of them probably could? Is it just a a level of effort or is there something else, do you think? I think it's a lot of stuff. I mean, it would be even a simple game with a retro aesthetic. It would still be like we've we've done down ports before and it's still a considerable amount of work to do that i mean if you're professionally a video game studio i'm sure you have to take the time and think about like is this worth the man hours compared to like what we're trying to put out and so it it, it's a pretty big undertaking even to make like a retro game and so um, i think that's a part of it another part of it is the technical side of it making a game for Super Nintendo is a lot different than making a game for a PC now. Oh, sure. Yeah, they, I mean, they, just the way the machine works is completely different. And so, and then there's just 
the physical side of it. You know, you have to source the parts. You got to source the PCBs. You got to source the shells. There's a lot of overhead to that. So I, I think there's a lot of reasons why people don't generally do it. So I feel like that in a way almost kind of naturally leads to a follow up question, which is, I mean, obviously it's been working for for Mega Cat, but is that like, has that ever been something that's come up for you guys where you're just like, why, why are we doing this? Like, this is so much extra work or has it, has it always just paid off that it's never been that much of a, an issue? I mean, we do the retro stuff because we love it, man. Like that's, that's really it. It, it's it's not about the money when it comes to the retro stuff. It's because it's what we want to want to do, you know. I, so I don't think there's ever a time where we're like, man, why are we doing this? Because it's like, well, I'm doing it because I want to. Well, I think uh, Chris and I can definitely relate to that. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> I think uh, that kind of brings off a, another question for me as well. You said you started making games for the NES. You know, there's there's different considerations you have to make for the uh, SNES and, and Genesis and you know other systems. How did you start out? It was like, did you have your own custom software tools? Did you use a base one? Have you developed different ones in the meantime? How does that really work in going towards other processes and when you're developing a game? Yeah, well, we use a lot of community source tools and we always have. And we contribute to those projects ourselves because we do, we're, we're so hardware focused that, you know, we're constantly finding, not constantly, but we will find like in, inconsistencies with the community tools and how things actually work on, on the real machines. So we're constantly sort of contributing to fix those kind of things for them. And so we've been using that a lot. We've also built some of our own in-house tools for it. Sometimes it's just one of our developers make us program that does something that we are doing a little bit faster. And so they'll just make that for themselves. It, it's sort of a combination of community sourcing and in-house now, one of your games, Coffee Crisis, looking through your catalog and just what I've seen from Mega Cat uh, in terms of not just being a publisher, but a developer and a publisher, the breakout game that really seems to say Mega Cat at the moment is Coffee Crisis. That seems to be your breakout title. Yeah, I mean, that was sort of our first big release. So we did it um, Genesis and Modern Platforms. OK, speaking of that being your breakout title, kind of or what, what you first were really known for in the greater you know, retro gaming zeitgeist if you want to use that word what was the moment that really convinced you as developers that you were on the right track and you were this was a future for you guys for for the time being or for the foreseeable future i mean we just we were having a lot of fun i mean that's really what it comes down to it's a good answer. <laughs> I mean, we, we, it was we didn't we didn't feel burnout by it we we were enjoying ourselves so i mean that that that's really all you need to know to know that you're going the right way right so it wasn't like based off success of any game. It's just like, hey, we're just having a lot of fun doing it and we're just enjoying this. Let's keep doing this thing. Yeah. I mean, it's something that we all dreamed of doing. And once we started doing it, we 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 fell in love with it. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's that, that's what it's all about. That's great, especially in, you know, today's gaming industry climate where, you know, there's so much conversation around poor working conditions and crunch and all of that nonsense. And so to have, I think, a studio where like it seems like you guys are really just centered around like, is what we're doing enjoyable? Do we like it? And is it fun? Like that's so, so different and definitely like refreshing. So it's that's nice to hear. Yeah. And I think it's a big part of our company's culture, too, that like if you're going to work for us full time, like you sure that you're enjoying yourself. We don't want people to be miserable working with us, you know? Sure. So that, 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 I mean, that's just sort of a big part of our culture is just like making sure that everyone's sort of enjoying what they're doing. Awesome. Besides Coffee Crisis, although that might be the one, who knows, uh, out of everything that 
Mega Cat has worked on or that you have been there to work on personally? Is there one that stands out to you as the thing that you are the most proud of so far? And and why is that? I think currently it's some stuff I can't talk about oh, no. because it's currently in de- uh. it's currently in development. And that's just because, you know, we this whole company, myself included, has just been growing and involve and evolving over the years. And so everything we do is going to be better than the last thing we did, you know? Do you, do you have, do you have any PR approved hints? Um, no, I don't have any PR approved <laughs> hints, but I, I, I can tell you, I had to ask if I, if I pretend like the stuff I'm currently working on doesn't exist. Um, <laughs> I would probably say, uh, I really like how bite the bullet turned out. Okay. It, it went through some, you know, community sourced feedback for a while. And that was, it was tough. It was, it was a lot of work you know, keeping up with that and trying to make a game that everyone would love. And I, I think what we came out with turned out pretty nice. Yeah, for sure. For full disclosure, I did back their game Phantom Gear, and I am very much looking forward to it. So if that's one of the games you can't talk about, I will just say, like, go look that game up. It's very impressive. Oh, no, no. Yeah, Phantom Gear is all good. I'm pretty excited about that one, too. Yeah, um, I, I'm working on like a 3D modern game right now that I'm like pretty excited about, but Ooh. I can't talk, talk about any of it. Yeah. <laughs> See, if we l- the longer we just keep this going, eventually we're going to get him to slip up. It's going to happen. <laughs> no, I like my job too much. <laughs> All right, fine, fair. So, uh conversely from, you know, you said bite the bullet is something that turned out really well for you. Are there any games projects and this could even go into the realm of publishing where like you're the biggest uh-oh moment for you and Mega Cat and uh what valuable lesson if there was one uh were you able to take away from that? biggest uh-oh is um that i can think of is probably we launched little medusa which is a retro game mm-hmm. um we're currently working on a pc version of it right now but when we released the nes version initially we sent out a good amount of them that the security chip was messed up on them so they didn't actually work on the console oh no Ooh. yeah so that was that was a pretty big one i mean lesson learned there is just triple quadruple check everything on the physical side of things because something can go wrong something could go bad and you always got to be on top of it that was that was probably the biggest one at least for me suppose in the in the in the grand scheme of things i guess that's not the worst thing that could have happened right yeah definitely not and we we handled it and we you know handled the returns for everyone and got sure. good copies of the game shipped out now, some people refu- refused to send it back. They wanted to keep it as like a collector's item. I'm like, yeah, whatever, man. Like, of course. go ahead. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> Have fun. <laughs> Have fun not playing your game. Yeah. They sent it off to WADA. That's why they couldn't send it back to you. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Was it still capable of working on like the NT, uh, NT Mini or yeah, any of the... Yeah, yeah. It, it worked on all the aftermarkets because the aftermarkets don't bother with the security circuit. Uh, but um, it, it was it was just, yeah, it was just the original consoles. Okay. So speaking of uh, NES games, I've kind of noticed that at least thus far, it seems like most of your games have focused largely on the NES and Genesis as platforms. Is there a particular reason for that focus out of just like practicality because you already kind of know how to develop for them or is there something else that's kind of factored into that? Uh, practicality mostly. Mm-hmm. 
I would love to make more Super Nintendo games, and we are making some. We have we have some in development that are hopefully going to be coming out in the next year or two. It's just way harder to work with. I mean, the, the development cycle on the Super Nintendo is so much bigger than the other two consoles. And so we have to be like pretty sure that like it's a project that's right for the console to do it in order to like take that on. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I guess that also kind of in a way answers the follow up question we had anyway, which was if you had any plans to develop for other systems. And it sounds like clearly that's a yes. Yeah, yeah, we, we definitely want we, we definitely at least want to. Um, we, we're constantly investigating. We've been hot on the tail of trying to do an N64 thing forever now. I'm really hoping one of these days I'm going to be on a podcast. And I'm going to be able to announce that one as being a thing that actually exists but we're constantly doing r&d with the 64 the problem is is that there's tools out now for the 64 Mm -hmm. but they're all based off of that that leak oh yep yeah so we can't touch any of it officially anyway i mean tengen got away with it for a while yeah but (laughs) i'm I'm kidding yeah we, we we would get sued into the ground if we used any of the like community developer tools that are around right now because it all uses copyrighted material Oh, I'm sure oh, yeah. that's that's Nintendo, too. And we all know how friendly they are. Well, yeah, I was just going to say you want to start tangling with one of one of, if not the most litigious like video game yeah. company. Right. My dream retro project that wouldn't be on any of the consoles we currently do stuff for would probably be a 64 game using the original Doom engine. Oh, that, that's that's what I'm always like really hoping to do at some point. Okay, well, if that ever comes to fruition, you know how to get in touch with us. We would love to have you back so that you can announce that. Yeah, that, 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 that's absolutely my dream project. No, that sounds awesome. I guess on a personal note, and I, I don't want to get you in trouble. So if you don't want to answer these, by all means, I'm a big fan of the really obscure systems. If you couldn't tell, as I said earlier with the Wii U. So I have to ask, has there been anybody looking at uh, perhaps like the TurboGrafx-16 or its CD attachment or just any CD attachments for the 16-bit systems? Oh, yeah, we've been we've been doing some uh, we've been doing at least some R&D on some TurboGrafx stuff in the past. Oh, sweet. Honestly, from like the business side of things, doing a a TurboGrafx game or like a Neo Geo game would be really smart because we can release it in a small number and charge a ton for it. (laughs) Yeah, because <laughs> the, the, the market for those consoles is insane. Um, it's just, again, it comes into the same frame as I was saying about the Super Nintendo. It's got to find the right project for it. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I also had a question from I was talking to somebody earlier, too, that they knew you were coming up and their question. I guess you already answered it because you said N64. But have you been looking at really the PlayStation one aesthetic and trying to make games for that? But I, I guess you technically answered that. But if there's any more you want to say on that go ahead yeah i mean that's that that would probably be my answer is that I, the reason why i specifically picked um id tech one as the engine that i want to work with is because we could make that for console like retro consoles and pc mm-hmm. we could develop our own proprietary source port for that engine and support things you know lighting effects and stuff and we could make that game for pc using the same maps and the same assets that would probably be like sort of how we get into doing that kind of aesthetic, um, ideally. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're, we're always playing around with things. So who knows? OK. <laughs> All right. So my next question is some of your games and despite having retro aesthetic, which is essentially what, what your games are, are only available for the modern consoles or PC. Is there a different approach when you make these games? Uh, Does developing on modern hardware make it more difficult to go back to older and more limited hardware? 
I guess uh, the best way to answer that is I get commonly, I get asked like a, a similar question pretty frequently is which is harder to work with. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're kind of equally difficult, but for different reasons. So if I'm making a, a retro game, then I have like this huge mountain of limitations that I got to deal with. And I got to like think creatively to work around them and try to do the things I want to do like around those limitations. Then if we're doing something on a modern platform, then we have like no limitations and that that doesn't make a good game. So you have to start thinking of limitations to impose on your designs and stuff to sort of make it a coherent experience. And so I think like from the design perspective, it's just you have two different trains of thought, but they don't really conflict with each other too hard Um, from the development side of things. We have different developers for retro stuff compared to modern platform stuff. So that that's not as much of an issue. Mm-hmm. Do you think having more limited resources brings out more creativity? Cause that's a theory that's usually thrown around as to why like NES and SNES music is more catchy than modern music is because there was just more limitations. You working between these two different concepts, these two different platform mentalities, you, you probably have like a very, very fresh knowledge on this. So you've kind of alluded to it that nothing easy is fun. But like you did say a different mindset. So do you think those limitations bring out more creativity? Yeah. I mean, that's that's why I think that on modern stuff, it's important to impose limitations. Um, I think having to like sort of think around obstacles forces you to think creatively and come up with new solutions and new ideas. I will never stop loving the puzzle of putting together an NES game. I mean, (laughs) it's it's just constantly trying to like think think in new ways and do new things with stuff that is really hard to work with. So what you're saying is that you have little to no interest in making the next uh, Ubisoft formulaic open world game where you have a thousand (laughs) things on your map. Is that what we're getting at? I mean, as long as I can establish some good ground rules. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. Well, actually that, that functions as a great sort of dovetail into our follow-up to that, which is um, a little bit more specificity, I guess, around some of the challenges that your team has faced when you're sort of taking a ROM developed for older hardware and making that fully functional for modern systems. And also conversely, if you want to throw it in there too, just some of the specific challenges that you might have come across when you are developing for, you know, some of these uh, older platforms. Well, so I know when we're taking we have two approaches when we take a game for an older platform and then put it on newer platforms. Mm-hmm. So the first approach is what we did with Coffee Crisis, where we made the game for the Sega Genesis and then we completely remade the game in Unity. Oh, geez. So, I mean, in doing that, you know, we can add in like lighting effects. We can add in like we had like the modifier system that wouldn't have happened on the Genesis mm-hmm. and we, we could do a lot of cool things that we had ideas for when we were making the Genesis game that we weren't going to be able to pull off. And so um, that's one way we do it. And then the other way we do it is we are we're developing our own encrypted emulators that can be run on modern platforms. So the, those games will just be like straight ports of the retro game to a modern platform. Oh, interesting. So are you are you writing these emulators just from scratch completely? We have, there was a uh, couple of uh, closed source 
emulator projects that we have good relationships with mm. that we sort of use as kind of like a launching off point. But then from there, we just sort of take the development ourselves and run with it. Okay, gotcha. One thing about Coffee Crisis that you just said is kind of when you took Coffee Crisis and you ported it to modern consoles with you know many more options that you could do probably that in conception you wanted to do, but on the Genesis you couldn't do. If you were going to recommend someone play the true version of Coffee Crisis, because your heart's in the <laughs> retro, would you recommend they play it on a new console or would you recommend they take that cartridge and plug it into their Mega Drive? Um, that's a hard question because I think they're they have their own experiences, I guess. He loves them equally, Chris. Yeah, well, it's, it's not even that. It's just, it's, it's different. Playing the Genesis version is different than playing the PC version. So, I mean, I think as far as games are concerned, I think the PC version's more fun. I think most people would, would enjoy it a lot more than the Genesis version. But, you know, if you're a Genesis head and you want to play a new Genesis game, then I would absolutely suggest the Genesis version. Yeah, I mean, they do control different. I mean, just generally speaking. Yeah, they they feel different. They have a lot of differences between the two of them. You know, the PC version has like way more content than the Genesis version does. And so, you know, it, it really comes down to the person's preferences, I'd say. Games like Coffee Crisis, and you have a pretty robust library going on at the moment, even with games that you published, uh, a big one being Tanzer, of course. Uh, what are what are games that you you and your team usually cite for inspiration when you sit down and you're like, hey, we're going to make a new game. Are there any games that you typically go back to the well with and be like, I really like this one. Let's try to incorporate these ideas. I think that kind of ends up breaking down to what we decide to do when we make a game. Um, a lot of times, especially with the retro games, we'll sit down and talk like what genres we'll, we'll get like lists going like what genres haven't we done yet? What genres weren't very prevalent on the console that we're working on? Like, what were some things that could be done on that console that haven't been done yet? And so we sort of like make those lists and go through them. And then that's when we kind of decide like what kind of game we want to make. And then from there, we've all been playing these games our whole lives. So then we just start drawing from our favorite games in those genres. Is there any game that if you said this was like a source of inspiration for you or anyone on the team, you would get a lot of people's head turning because maybe no one's heard of it or maybe it's just a guilty pleasure game or a bad one. I mean, so I don't do as much art as I used to for, for the team. I'm more of in a managerial position now, but when I was doing art, um, I'd say the more obscure game that I tended to be influenced by was like Shatterhand for the NES. Oh, wow. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's one of my all time favorites, but it's also pretty obscure. So as the collector market has grown, so has its notoriety. <laughs> <laughs> but that's considered to be one of the, the better games. Was that Natsume or is that Sunsoft? That's Natsume. Natsume. Um, yeah, no, it, it's a fantastic game. I mean, it's, it plays great and it looks beautiful. Um, I don't really have any bad games I really pull inspiration from, I guess. I mean, I'm sure there are some. I'm sure there's some games where I'm like, that's god awful, but it looks pretty. <laughs> or soundtracks, I'll do that a lot. If I'm if I'm talking to one of our music guys, I'll give them the soundtrack to some god awful game, but it was like the soundtrack was made by like one of the best composers at the time. Or like a Silver Surfer or something like that. Yeah, yeah, like Silver Surfer, or Wolverine, or Alien Three is another good one. Oh wow. Yeah, that 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 would be like that's probably if I'm gonna 
full-on games that weren't particularly great for for influence it would probably be with music because i always had these great soundtracks for some reason well i mean that's it's probably for the best at least somebody has to do those soundtracks justice because the game certainly did not (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right so we're going to deviate a little bit from all of the the dev specific questions i'm just going to go ahead and ask you if you personally could sit down and pick the brain of any figure in the game industry whether they are currently alive or dead who would it be and why Ah oh, man, I don't, I don't know about pick the brain, but there's some people I'd love to hang out with. Okay, if, that's if fair. That's what you're getting at. Sure. I would probably love to hang out with Suda Fifty One. I've met him <laughs> before, and he's very nice. I mean, he just makes like some of my favorite games in the past couple of decades. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm. And on that same note, Hideo Kojima seems like he would be a great person to hang out with, and you know, just talk about art and culture and video games and how it all relates so that that would be that would be amazing can you imagine how just completely off the wall that situation would be if you were just hanging out with both of those dudes at the same time i'm here for it man (laughs) if if we go outside of video games i always said i I wouldn't want to pick his brain i would just want to go hang out in los angeles with him i'd want to hang out with david lynch oh just like just like bum around LA and like get lunch. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm starting to get a pretty good sense of your tastes. I think I'm, I'm, I'm on board. I like it. I could see, I could see that crew like going to a club and not knowing where they are in the morning, kind of like the hangover and then <laughs> making a game out of it. I was thinking more of like fear and loathing, but yeah, sure. That's, why not? Yeah. Why not both? Right. You know, combine. Right, yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, isn't that how death stranding was made? Probably pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, this next question, we, we've already kind of shit on Nintendo, so hopefully you don't get in trouble with them because we just called <laughs> out their very litigious nature, but they know what they've done. Yeah, they do. They, they're proud of it, so they're okay. They're, they're like putting the fear of God in everybody. <laughs> Our next question is, what is it like negotiating with the current major platform owners? And is there any single one that you tend to favor working with? And of course, I mean, if you can't answer that question i understand but if you can you know feel feel free give a soft answer to it um i like i like doing stuff on on steam it's so easy there's so much easier than everybody else um the process of getting your game you know approved and listed and getting all the assets up it's just like a snap it's it's a breeze to work with where you know the console manufacturers it's like a whole nother beast because they have like their each has their own process for approving projects to be released on their platform and a lot of different things you have to do following essentially three we'll say five if we include mobile devices different approval processes that you have to follow and know yeah i love i I love putting stuff out on steam it's like click a couple buttons type in some text add some pictures fun (laughs) lord gaben blessed be his name Maybe controversial follow-up question. Oh, have you worked at all or been approached at all about working on the Intellivision Amico? I know that's kind of a controversial system at the moment. No, we have not, and I mean, I'm not going to give too much of an opinion on it. But I understand. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of happy that we're not. But but at the <laughs> same time, you know, I'm sure we wouldn't turn down any opportunity as long as you know it paid work. I can understand. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. All right, so 
Time to pontificate a little bit. So do you personally see Game Pass as a good or a bad thing for the future of the industry? And has Game Pass and and systems similar to that impacted you as an independent developer at all? You're talking about like the the Microsoft Game Pass. It's kind of like what Sony's called. PlayStation Now. PlayStation Now. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that from an industry standpoint, I think it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. I think that video games are expensive to make nowadays and they have been for a long time. I mean, remember it had to have been like almost a decade ago that they were talking about needing to raise the price point from $60 to something higher. Oh yeah. Yeah. And everyone lost their mind over it. And so they didn't do that. And so then they started adding in microtransactions and, you know, DLC and all that stuff to try to make up that price point. But, you know, people hate that too. So I think that this is kind of a decent solution to make that money back, I guess. Sure. Um, As long as, I mean, I don't know too much of the particulars of the business side of all those platforms as long as the people making the games are getting their fa- fair shake out of it then i think it's a good solution so from like from mega cat's perspective it sounds like things like playstation now and game pass and those sorts of things you haven't really it hasn't really affected you guys personally much at all no i mean the the i will say that um the indie scene on those platforms isn't gigantic um which is a good thing and a bad thing i mean you know bad thing in the sense that we could use the exposure from that but good thing that i don't know i wouldn't mind some of these triple a games being kept in a box away from us so that more people can pay attention to what we're doing (laughs) that's fair (laughs) yeah (laughs) one more thing i probably should have mentioned in the previous question is i know you guys released a cart for the retrocade which is an extremely i would call it a niche console you know just for really people really in the know uh, what's it like developing for for a system like that that really seems to be more for more you know that hardcore niche audience but you kind of already are but you're you're kind of even getting into a smaller one do you do you constantly feel pressure to release collections for that is do you have like an amicable relationship with you know whoever makes uh the the retrocade and you know do you see consoles like that you know is there a space for them to thrive and succeed oh uh, yes on a lot of accounts there it's been really great working with those guys i mean they're just taking the the retro games themselves so like the roms and um putting them on those cartridges so we don't have to do any extra development overhead on our side oh that's that's awesome yeah and they've been like just real great real supportive working with us and i think yeah i mean i think it does have a place um i think it has a place for guys like us and other smaller studios that might be making games for retro consoles i mean we're not the only ones that make new NES games in the world. Right. There's other people that do that. Mm-hmm. There's people smaller than us that do that. And so it's, it's a great platform for guys like that. I mean, they're, they're doing a good job of reaching out to sort of the homebrew community and getting, getting more stuff out on their, on their platform that wouldn't be out there otherwise. So yeah, I think it's great. Okay. Next question's about Kickstarter. And like I put out earlier, I did back one of your games on Kickstarter and I am anxiously looking forward to it coming out now you it's not like phantom gear wasn't the only one you've had on kickstarter you've had a couple kickstarter campaigns behind the scenes on your side what are some benefits to using kickstarter what are some drawbacks marketing is a great benefit of it um it's just a, a great avenue of marketing great avenue for 
funding the game in, in the first place like obviously all the kickstarter isn't like the whatever game is being kickstarted is going to cost more than what the kickstarter is oh sure but that that initial finance from the kickstarter helps out a lot for the retro games usually one of the backer rewards is a copy of the game it's it's a great way to start start us off early and knowing what we need for you know stock for materials there's a lot of benefits doing it um the only real drawback i can think of and it's not really anything that puts too much extra stress on us because we have our own uh community people is it's just another avenue of community that needs to be you know taken care of and moderated and make sure their concerns are taken care of so it's adds a little bit on that end so it sounds like i think i i think i might know the answer to this question then because it sounds like for the most part kickstarter has been a boon for you guys if for nothing else but I'm going to go ahead and ask it anyway. Do you think that the sort of backlash slash like negative reception that some of the more high profile Kickstarter projects like Mighty Number no. Nine or like Shenmue Three, for example, among you know a handful of others, has that made it more difficult to crowdfund you know niche products like the ones that you guys produce, or have you just really that hasn't really affected you much at all? No, I don't think it really affects. I it's weird. I feel like those things kind of tend to exist in a little bit more of a bubble because mm. I mean, most people, there might be a backlash, but most people I think know what they're getting themselves into when they crowdsource something. Right. You know, it might never even happen. It might happen and it might be the worst game you ever played. I, you know that <laughs> when you're giving them your money, you know, there's no guarantees there. I think a, that's kind of a big part of sort of the understood contract when you're doing a Kickstarter. So I don't think it tends to hurt other Kickstarters too much when one kind of flops like that. Gotcha. Yeah. And I I think that's, that's more of the case now than much earlier in, in the, I suppose the lifespan of Kickstarter and like other platforms like that, because I think from what I had seen as those things were kind of unfolding, right. Is that a lot of those, projects were you know backed by some folks that were not necessarily aware of precisely what the contract was that they were getting themselves Mm -hmm. into but i think there's a lot more awareness around sort of like the risk versus reward kind of you know weighing that you have to do when you kind of get yourself involved with one of those yeah definitely do you ever want to yell at people when they ask where the game is and it's just been you know like they don't understand development because i can understand (laughs) you know here I am, I put money into a Kickstarter project. The game said it would be out 2020. We all know what happened in, in 2020. And of course, game you know hits delays after delay uh, on a Kickstarter project. So how annoying are the people who keep asking you where the game are? As a representative of Megacat Studios, I deeply respect every member of our community. Thank you very much. It's a fantastically diplomatic answer. Thank you. The other quick answer is that I'm kept pretty far away from our community. read into that how you will (laughs) um so uh, now more of a publisher thing so when you guys are publishing a game because you said you publish some game gear uh game boy you publish some game boy games uh you you publish tanzer which is is regarded Mm -hmm. to be a really good game that came out of your studio what are some considerations that are made when you're choosing you know, projects to publish and what sort of relationships, if any, are maintained after that project is released and you publish it? It usually goes like this. I mean, we're all still pretty involved in the retro community. And so, you know, we'll see a project that we like or someone that's making a project might come to us 
and we check the project out, see what see what it's like, um, see you know how how complete it is, how, you know how much work's left to go on it, and then we'll start working out a deal with them with you know how are they going to be compensated for the project? How are we going to be co- compensated for taking on all the costs of physical production? From there, we either might help them finish their game or or give them the space they need and help them with testing and help them get their game done. That that's usually how it goes. As far as relationships go, we try to keep those every time. Retro Souls is a, a great group. Use as an example for that. We've published about five games of theirs, I think. Mm. Most of them for the Sega Genesis. Now, do you guys, do you have a team that works directly with those developers if, you know, you think they need help or you just let them to their own devices? Because uh, you, you all seem to have similar interests on you know, getting these games out for retro consoles, and especially as a publisher, you'd probably have an interest in that game getting released. Yeah, if it comes down to they need a little bit of extra help to get something over the line, then, you know, we have our retro leads, and I'm in that crew that are willing to jump in and give them any help they need. Awesome. Have you had to do that before for any game? Um, Yeah, I mean, I've had to do it for a lot of our games, too. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> It just happens. It's just when you, especially with the retro stuff, when you get to a point where someone needs help, um, there's only so many people in the world that can help. So true. It's like I kind of uh, when I first got out of college, I quickly came to the realization that I probably should have just focused on learning COBOL because I could make bank programming in COBOL. But (laughs) oh, well. (laughs) so we are getting close to the end so first of all i want to congratulate you you've survived the gauntlet so there you go (laughs) um we've got only two questions left for you and they are some fun ones at least i hope the one that i'm going to throw out there so i want you to be 100 percent honest how often are games played in the office and what is as a follow-up the most popular console among your staff if you had to guess and why is it the wii u thought you said this was going to be a fun one. Oh, I mean, no. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, now I want to know the answer. Uh, no. Uh, so playing games in the office, not that often, but we have, uh, we usually do, we try to do like a weekly game night. We don't necessarily always get to stick to that schedule because we're all in our mid thirties and have lives that we have to deal with. But um, I feel that. Uh, so yeah, we usually try to do some game nights together. And then as far as, Popular console. I'm I'm a little disappointed to announce that it is the Sega Genesis. Um, <laughs> disappointed. Yeah. Well, I got a whole thing where I think it's kind of like a baby's console because it has all those <laughs> rounded edges on it. We have some Australian <laughs> listeners that are going to be oh, very upset. I love but, it. I love but it. The NES, the NES, on the other hand, that's that's the console for adults because it has all the sharp corners. So if you're not careful, you could put an eye out on it. That's a man's console. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's interesting, of course, because you go back to the marketing. You know, Sega was the mature console. Yeah, no, yes. But no, I, I'm definitely like I grew up on the NES. That's the games I dreamed of making. So always a little bit of tension in the office between me and everyone else. <laughs> I love that jostling. I love those bar that bar being thrown right there, too. It, it's great for the console wars. Just remembering it. <laughs> Keep keeping it alive. I can't wait to see the comments in our in our discord about this after this episode comes out. Console Wars never ended, man. We're still fighting them. <laughs> Absolutely. That's true. I'm still there, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you actually are. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, actually. Yeah. We're just here reporting on it. This next one is is totally personal. It's not too personal. We, we do have someone in 
our community that does like to ask personal questions. We won't get as personal as that person is. And we, yeah. we know what <laughs> you, you're thinking. You know who you are. You know who you are. So for you, what are your top three video games of all time? And why are they so special to you? Ooh, I'm going to have to have a couple ties in here if that's okay. That's fine. <laughs> Go for it. A couple games from the same series that sort of fill the same slot. Ah. Ms. Pac-Man. Ooh. I can play that. I, if that was the, the only game left in the world, I, I would be fine with that. Okay. I'm assuming the arcade version. Yeah, the arcade version. Okay. It, it's simple. It's addictive. It's, there's a reason why it's one of the most profitable individual video games of all time. Then I would probably say either Metal Gear Solid 3 or 5. Ooh. I, I like them equally, but for much different reasons. 3's got probably one of the best stories in a video game that's ever been written. But then 5, just from a raw gameplay experience, um, I still play that game pretty regularly to this day. I love it. I don't think I'll ever put that game down. And then uh, Doom 2, probably the third one. All right. Um, that that, that game's just, I, I, I go back to that one once a year. It, it's fun. It's John Romero doing what he does best, you know? So, <laughs> absolutely. So, what you're saying is, I need to convince Shane to start playing the Metal Gear Solid games because he has. I not knew them that yet. was going to come up. Yes. I knew you were going to say that. Oh my God. Play the Metal Gear Solid games. They're incredible, man. You know, I, I yeah, it, that's one of my like retro gaming backlog things that tends to come up. On occasion, and I will say that I, you know, I haven't had a lot of exposure to it. Um, other than the one thing that always comes to mind is my first year of college, my roommate, who um, fortunately also happened to be one of my best friends because we went to the same college together. He uh, brought his PS2, and I don't remember which one it was. I'm sure you could point it out, but he brought an MGS game with him, and all I remember is just sitting there and being like, "Bro." This is a movie. You're watching a movie. That's all of them. That's yeah. That's any of them. Take your pick. I just saw a really funny picture uh, recently. It was like a screenshot of a really old Twitch chat log, mm-hmm. and it was um, a Twitch mod jumping into a stream to yell at the person streaming for streaming a movie. And he was streaming <laughs> Metal Gear. He was streaming Metal Gear Solid Four. Nice. That is that is probably the worst defender in the series. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, the ending of that game is like two hours long. <laughs> and it makes your hand hurt. Yeah. And you are wondering why I have not played these yet. There's it's other ones. So oh, good. Okay. Though. It's so oh. good. The story's phenomenal and that it's like the craziest, most insane story ever. But then when you actually do get to play it, it's the gameplay is fantastic. When you do get to play it. <laughs> uh, it's like anime meets tom clancy and it's it's all the better for it well i mean inevitably i'm going to have to end up playing them because we will be talking about them sooner or later there you go you got another endorsement shane all right that makes two i think oh look you guys want to get all right we're gonna get personal yeah sure let's do it metal gear solid 3 is the only game that ever made me cry okay all right no i like that the end of that game brought me to tears all right so far that that's near for me so we'll have to we'll have to see if that one uh, has the same effect, I guess. Lost Odyssey. All right. Well, I do believe as we kind of wrap things on talking about things that <laughs> brought us to 
bubbling messes of tears, which is always a great place to end. We, we've kind of reached the end of the of the questions. So I guess we're about ready to wrap up. But I mean, first and foremost, Andy, we just, you know, again, we'd like to thank you for coming on to the show and being a uh, a very upstanding representative of Mickey Cat. He has done nothing untoward here and you heard it here first, just <laughs> in case uh, anybody needs to know. But uh, but thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was a blast. I had a great time. And so uh, before we jump into our usual little shtick about uh, where people can find us and all that fun stuff, how about you go ahead and uh, give the fine folks at home some info about uh, if they want to know more about Megacat and what y'all do over there, where can they go? You can check us out at megacatstudios.com. You know, you can check out all our games there. We have a big blog series all about how we make retro games. Um, A lot of cool information in there. Um, If you're on social media, we're just Megacat Studios on everything. You can find us there. Find our games on Steam. It's got or on our website. You got a link to our Discord if you want to join that. A lot of different ways to get a hold of us. Fantastic. Similarly, there are a number of ways that you can get a hold of us as well. If you are listening to this show, then that means you have already found us. So hi, hello, welcome. We're glad that you're here. And if you'd like to engage with the show uh, in some different ways, you can do that and we make it possible. So uh, we also make it very simple. All you need to do is head over to linktree slash retro hangover. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash retro hangover and choose the destination that suits you best, whether that is our public discord, which we've got a fantastic little community in there. We always have a good time. Um, So please feel free to jump in or our social media accounts uh, or our YouTube or the Twitch channel or any of that fun stuff. Um, It's all there for you. And speaking of that, Chris, would you like to tell the people a little bit about what we do on Twitch? We suck at video games. Great. Thank you, Chris. If you want to check us out every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern time ish, we are at twitch.tv slash retro hangover where we stream games terribly. And uh, yeah, or Shane read something in his extremely sultry and sexy voice. Yeah, head over there and, you know, have a good time. Also, I do want to drop real quick. The King of Games 2000 should be getting close to wrapping up right now at the time of this episode being released. And that's exclusive to patrons at the moment. It will be coming out within the next month to everyone that has access to podcasts. So but in the meantime, it's only accessible to all of our patrons. So if you want to hear what we think are the is the best game of the year 2000, go ahead and check that objectively. out. Objectively, objectively, scientifically speaking, <laughs> we have panels. It is indisputable. There will be no arguments. That's all I got, Shane. Fantastic. Well, with all of that being said, until next time, play with your mega cat. Nintendo and not Genesis joysticks. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. 
Build your own sample pack of five four ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in head first with full 12 ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's bit.ly slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.